hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin West. To order or download additional resources, please visit kevinwest.org. There, was, there were five major kingdoms, or when I say kingdoms, I'm talking about uh, empires. In uh, reference in the Bible, there's, there's more uh, empires there, but five major ones that I want to just kind of briefly mention. First one was Egypt. Egypt was a major empire, major kingdom, and they had a pharaoh, and everybody just kind of worked underneath the pharaoh. There was the, there were the Assyrian kingdom uh, empire. Then there was the Babylonian empire. There, the Persian empire. And uh, then you had the Roman empire there towards the day that Jesus came. The first four that I just mentioned had a philosophy, and the philosophy were similar. What they would do is the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Persians would go into a, an area when they seized the Israelites or seized a nation or a population of people. They would go in that city, in that region, in that territory, and they would take all of the stuff out of that territory, all of, they call it booty, all of the, the gold, the silver, all the material items. They would take all of that stuff, bring it into their own house, their own treasury, and then they would bring the people into their kingdom, their empire, their area, and they would hold them under slavery and bondage. So, for example, when the Egyptians, you saw what they did, they um, took this, the ch children of Israel, they brought them into Egypt, they took all of their stuff, made them work underneath their stuff, with their stuff, to build Pharaoh cities. It's throughout the entire scripture. So the philosophy of those kingdoms were to go into a city, a region, take the people hostage, bring them back, make them slaves under the system of that kingdom that's already existing and take all of the stuff, gold, silver, and, and resources, and bring that with them and use it to help build their own kingdom. The Romans did it different. The Romans had a different philosophy. The Roman philosophy was to go into an area into a city, into a region, a population, and set up in that region a different way of thinking. So rather than bring Israel into Egypt and teach Israel how to think like Egypt, the Romans, like the Egypts did, Egyptians did, Roman would, Rome would go into a city, a region, a population, and plant a city within their own city. So they would take Rome to the people set up architecture, set up education, economy and commerce, and they would set up in the population of people and begin to indoctrinate those people in Rome, in, in the Egyptians or Israelites in the city, and, it, and, and help them begin to see how Roman people thought. Does that make sense? Rather than go in and take all their stuff and bring them back to Rome, they would take Rome to the people. And over the course of decades, they would begin to indoctrinate kids on how to think like the Romans think, build like the Romans build, have business like the Romans had business, educate like the Romans educate. And over the course of a generation of people, 40 years, they would entirely turn over a population and a city and a region. So their idea of how a kingdom worked and their empire was to go in a city and a region and plant for long-term fruit and production, plant into that city their way of life and their way of thinking 
so they could change the way that those people thought rather than bring them back over here and leave the land desolate. They were more concerned about taking the land and then changing the land to look like them as opposed to just bringing the people back as a bunch of slaves. Their idea was if I could get the Israelites to think like Romans, they'll be a Roman empire in their own land and they won't even know it. Make sense? Why didn't Jesus come under the Egyptian empire? Why didn't he come at the, during the Assyrian time or Babylonian or the Persians? Why didn't he come during those times? Why was it that Jesus didn't come during those times when it would have been just as easy for him to come? The Bible says in the fullness of time Jesus came, right? But he didn't come during those times. Why is that? Because there was no frame of reference of what the kingdom of God looked like. If he would have come during the Egyptian time, the kingdom of God wouldn't have looked like the Egyptians looked, right? It wouldn't have looked like the Babylonians looked. It wouldn't have looked like how the Persians did or the Assyrians, but there was a kingdom that God allowed to raise up, the Roman Empire, that was a parallel to the kingdom of God. So when Jesus comes in the fullness of time, he enters in time when the Romans were in power and the people in culture had a frame of reference when Jesus would come and talk about the kingdom of God. There was children that were raised up understanding how the Romans thought, education, Architect, business, agriculture, family, life. And they were being all, we would call it today, brainwashed or indoctrinated into the Roman way of thinking. But Jesus allowed that, that empire to rise up in a time when he was ready to introduce himself to the population of the world. So they were be a, there would be a frame of reference of what the kingdom of God looked like. Because the kingdom of God wasn't like the Egyptians, the Assyrians, and the Babylonians, and the Persians. The kingdom of God wasn't to go in, take a bunch of people, free them up from their place, and then get them out of there and take all the resources and come over here and set up their own little island. Right? God is not trying to invade. The kingdom of God doesn't invade your life for you to abandon your life and then come over here and join a cultish denominational group of people or a non-denominational group of people and abandon life so you could have your own little church world. See, many churches today across the country, if we're not careful, across this world, will get a person saved, bring them into the church. All they know is church, but they don't know how to live life. The worst thing in the world you could know is our denomination or non-denomination or interdenomination or trans-denomination, whatever it might be. The worst thing you can know is the way the church thinks, but you can't relate to people in the world. The kingdom of God does not isolate it invades. It transforms. It's not intimidated by the world, right? It's not afraid of the world. It goes into the world. And when it goes into the world, it's so confident of what it's carrying, what we're carrying, that we know that if we're carrying the kingdom, the presence of God, the rule and realm of God in our heart, it goes and makes change in people's lives in culture, right? So here's what happened. Yeah, the Romans had this kingdom they were building, this empire. People were under the slavery of that. Jesus shows up and begins to introduce to the people a kingdom that looks similar to that, 
but it wasn't of the natural realm, it was of the spiritual realm. So when he began to talk language to them, they would be confused unless they heard it from the spiritual ear or saw from the spiritual eye. That's why the disciples many times were going, hey guys, I'm glad he's here because now we can, get, we can overthrow Rome and take this thing over. And Jesus is going, you don't even know what kingdom you're a part of. You don't know what manner of spirit you're of, right? He raised up passionate people and, 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 and he identified passionate people. James and John were passionate. Peter, passionate. Peter, passionate. Passionate people do passionate things. You know what I'm talking about? Passionate people are the same people that will hug you and round your neck and tell you how much they love you with tears rolling around their face, but they're the same people that will cuss you out. Passion, right? They will smack you, but they won't let anybody else smack you. Passion. You know those two type of people? They'll give you an earful, right? But they're gonna be there through thick and thin when things get tough. Passionate people. They'll cut your ear off, right? But also stand up and protect you and you know, talk good about you when other people are talking bad about you. There's passionate people. So Jesus raises up passion. It's like David, the same guy, right? That's worshiping the Lord is the same guy that's taking Goliath's head off. The same guy that's crying on the ground. Looks a little, a little weak, soft, same guy that takes the guy's head off. Passion. Passion comes in different forms and fashions. But one thing that's, consi that's consistent in the body of Christ, in the kingdom, are people that have passion. The first thing that lights up in a person that gets saved, gets transformed, gets born again, is passion. Something comes alive. Sometimes it's not good and sometimes it's not so healthy, but it comes alive, right? It wakes something up inside of you because now you have a reason to live and a reason to drive and a reason to go and there's something moving you more than you trying to move yourself, Amen. right? Jesus came to identify those people. So when he came to identify Peter, James and John, Andrew and all the rest of the disciples, he starts pulling them out and he starts calling people to himself to demonstrate, to rally passionate people that were sometimes reckless but had a passion. Sometimes weird, but had a passion. Sometimes just flat out goofy, but had a passion. Who sits on the right, who sits on the left? Competitive, but passionate, right? John, John, full of love, wanted to call fire down from heaven to kill those people. This is a guy who walked in love, love passion, fire's passion. Now, I don't think I've talked to just anybody in here today. I bet you if I knew you really well, you would fall on both sides of that passion, every single one of you. And if you didn't say it out loud, I promise you, you thought it. Right? Huh? So Jesus comes to rally passionate people and ignite a passion in people about something that's greater than themselves. A different kingdom. Something that the Romans were displaying and exemplifying across the, the world at the time. And Jesus says, hey, come on, follow me. I'll make you a fishers of men. I'm gonna light a passion in you about something that's deep inside of you that your heart longs for, but you have no idea how to get to. Just follow me. I'm gonna take you on a journey. 
You're gonna get confused on some things and some things are gonna bring clarity. Sometimes life's gonna be up and sometimes life's gonna be down. Sometimes you wanna be kill every one of them and sometimes you wanna hug them all, right? Sometimes you wanna live and sometimes you're gonna wanna die. Sometimes you wanna stay married, sometimes you wanna divorce. Sometimes you're glad they're your kids and sometimes you wish they were somebody else's. Mm-hmm. You can say that now, they're all in the other room over there. <laughs> right? Let me go to a passage of scripture. I'm gonna show you something. Luke chapter eight, verse four. I'm gonna read a series of scriptures here and then I wanna take you on a real quick journey and it's gonna be real applicable to our life, okay? Luke chapter eight, verse four. Jesus is introducing an entirely different way of thinking to people. He's got his disciples here. There are people that are not disciples that are on the fringe watching and listening to him teach. Multitudes of people that would come. Some came because he fed them. Others come because they wanted food. Others wanted because they wanted to hear what he had to say. Some were just intrigued by the miracles that he was doing and some of the, the things he was doing that weren't from, from, from the natural realm had to be from heaven. In the meantime, there was this group of people. There were Romans. There were religious Jews. Then there was the disciples and people that were Gentiles that were kind of on the outskirts of just trying to get a hold of this whole thing. What in the world is happening here? But all of them had something in common. All of them had a frame of reference of what the Roman Empire looked like, how, to, how are their architecture, how their education, how their business and commerce, how their family lifestyle, all of that. They had a frame of reference of how life and culture was, right? So when Jesus came, he came to meet them right where they were. He didn't come to teach them something outside of that self. He came to teach them what was inside of what was already existing. So he would take personal experiences, relevant times, relevant moments, relevant areas, take all of that, pull all of that, and then begin to use those as examples to teach them spiritual principles that they were gonna to have to learn to live by, right? He takes the disciples to himself, and here's what he says. There was a great multitude had gathered, all the disciples were there, and they'd come to him from every city. He spoke by a parable. He gave them an example, took a, a literal situation and gave them a principle behind the literal situation. A sower went out to sow his seed and he sowed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But the others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop of hundredfold. And when he had said these things, look at this, he cried, cried, passion. Who has an ear to hear what I just said? Let him hear. Now, stop right there. If I'm them, if I'm a disciple or I'm in the multitude, I'm taking notice that he's pretty serious about what he just said. He's passionate, trying to get a point across to me. Now, if, if, if you're like I am, I'm probably gonna try to analyze that and say, well, let me go back and see what he just said. Four types, 25%, so I got one out of four chances to get this thing right, right? 25% of it went good. The other 75 didn't last very long. Some lasted longer than others, but at the end of the day, it didn't produce good fruit. So how can I find myself in the 25% market? Is anybody else like me, right? Most people, I'm focusing on the good. I want to be in the 25%. Most people are trying not to be in the other 75. If your bend is trying not to be, you'll never be. Your bend has to become being, not worried about what you're not. 
but embracing who you are. Right? It, so he made you a loud mouth. I'm just being serious. It's okay. We call it feisty. Right? Well, they have passion. No, they have a temper. We can call it passion today for our sermon's sake, but it's temper. Well, they, they, they have to have the last word. Yeah, you have to have the last word. You want to be right all the time. You want to be right all the time. Well, if you're always focusing on what you're trying to fix, you'll miss what he made you that's perfect. Settle what's perfect first that you're pleased with and doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Then begin to focus on some of that other stuff. But if you're always focused on the other stuff, you'll never embrace who you really are. Right? If you're passionate about, you know, I don't know, say, say you just love sports. Well, love sports. If you love to read, read. Is that okay? Whatever that thing is inside of your heart, it's just not, I'm just giving you tokens, but whatever that is that made you the way you are, it's okay to be the way you are. We're all the time trying to fix us and we miss the very thing that he made you. You'll be fixed. I'll show you how he'll fix this in a minute. You don't have to worry about trying to fix yourself. I promise you. Life will be more of a sermon than any preacher you ever hear. It will, life will fix you. Life will lead you by the Spirit. And you'll get life lessons in experiential ways as opposed to ideology. Concept. Theory. Reality. Watch what happens. He cried to the people. He who has an ear, I pray you just heard what I said. Watch this. Then his disciples, these are the close ones to him, said, come on, what in the world are you talking about? What do you mean? We heard what you said to the masses, but it's us, Jesus. You picked us. Have you ever done that? You called me. I didn't call you. You picked me. You told me to start this. These are your people. They're not mine. Right? You give me those kids, God. I didn't ask for them. Right? I wanted to divorce, I'm gonna get real real here. I wanted to divorce him a long time ago, but you're the one who told me to stay married. Well, I could probably dismiss about right now, couldn't I? You know what I'm talking about. Have you just been to that place? I wish I could have quit this job 10 years ago, but you're the one who has me here because nothing else has opened up. Lord, this has got to be you. These are real life situations and circumstances that people go through. Maybe it's not us, but it's, it's people that we know. Right? It's family members, it's people that we, co-workers, neighbors. So the disciples look at him and said, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? Give us an example. And he said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries. Listen to this, this is powerful. To know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. What's the mysteries of the kingdom of God? But to the rest it's given to be in parable. They're going to get the story. They're going to get the analogy. They're going to get the picture. You're going to get the reality. You're going to get firsthand knowledge of things inside out, not just topics and discussion for people to think about. You're going to get the reality of experience in this thing. He said, but the rest is given to parables and seeing that they may not see and hearing that they may not, may not understand. Now the parable is this. <laughs> he just told them they get the mysteries to understand. 
but the people get the parable. And he goes on to say, but the parable's this. Now, if I'm a disciple, I'm going, here he goes. He's going to give us a parable to explain the parable. Am I the only one he talks like this to in real life? You need financial help. You need relational help. You need body health. You need something to happen, and you're praying and asking God, Lord, you said the promises of yea and amen. You quote it, you quote it, you quote it, you scream it, you preach it, you, you sing it, you pray it, you do all of those things, and nothing seems to change. And then he takes you to something, and you're asking more questions, and the more questions you ask, the more questions you get. Am I, talk, am I know what I'm talking about? You're just in a place going, God, will you really just make this thing so clear? Why, why is this so difficult to understand what I'm going through and how I'm going through it? I don't know what it means. And then we go back, and some good preacher will look at you and say, the promises of God are for you. He has a promise unto you. He said he'll leave you, never leave you or forsake you. Why do you think they call it a promise? If I look at Steph and I say, I'll pick you up at 8 o'clock, and Steph looks at me and says, you promise, I'm going to go, I just told you I'd pick you up at eight o'clock. But the fact that I'd look at her and say, I promise I'll pick you up at eight o'clock is gonna require her to have some faith because there's a possibility doubt could enter in. So when the promises of the Lord are yea and amen, that means there's a moment in time between the time of conception of that promise and the time of fulfillment of that promise, you have an opportunity to have doubt or faith. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a promise. He doesn't say the facts of God are without delay or are yea and amen. It says the promises of God. And anytime there's a promise, it, it has two eligibilities, doubt, unbelief, and faith and trust. And I don't know anybody that lives life, their whole life, and never doubts a promise of God. The disciples couldn't get it right, and I've never met a man or a woman today that doesn't feel that pressure in the middle of situations and circumstances. The disciple says, well, what's the parable? He says, well, the parable's this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes in, takes away the word from their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have not, no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of temptation, they just fall away. Now, the ones that among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out, get choked up by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and it brings no fruit into maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who have heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit, woo, with patience. Oh, man, he had to throw that one in, didn't he? My God, patience. Where did that come from? You've heard it always said, nobody ever prays for patience because you know what comes with patience. Right? And I always question the Lord sometimes when the, the Lord asks you to wait on him because wait on the Lord and new, renew your strength. I'm going, you know, I, t wait is time. Here's a God that lives in eternity and has the, 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 the gall to tell me to wait in time. So one of us has to give a break here. He's either got to come down here in time or I got to come up there in eternity to be able to see how he sees, right? So those who wait upon the Lord or do their strength, well, it'd be a lot easier if we didn't have to wait but you have bare fruit of patience. Next verse, please. No one, when he has hit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who, may, who, who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, 
nor anything hidden that will not be known. Now here's, in, 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 in our contemporary church world today, we see that as sin. There's nothing in secret that'll be revealed. I'm telling you right now, you better get a hold of yourself. I don't know what you're hiding, but it'll come to light. He's talking about the good word that's hid in a heart that in, through endurance and patience, it comes to fruit. If you're bend, when you hear that scripture, sin. If you're bent on that word, you're gonna miss what God is really doing. He didn't say whatever's in, if, when there are people, there is sin. And where there's sin, here's a good one for you, there's people. Right? Now we're not putting it up on a pedestal. What I'm telling you is there's a better way to snuff out sin and snuff out darkness in your life. Embrace good. If I turned out every light in this place and I went back and I said, darkness go in Jesus' name. And we all gathered around and held hands and clenched our fists, grit our teeth. We all said it at the same time, said it three times, turned around backwards and said it again. And we said, darkness go. It'll be a lot harder. It may happen. Chances are it won't. But if I just said, Chad, will you turn that light on back there? And Chad flips the switch, guess what goes? Darkness goes. If you want to chase away darkness, just bring the light. If you want to chase away unbelief and doubt on the promises, just bring trust and truth, confidence, experience, Watch, verse 18. Therefore, take heed now how, how you hear. No, 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 not what you hear. Do you see that? Yeah. Take heed how you hear, not what you hear. If your hearing and bend is negative, dark, failure, cup half empty, if your bend is that way, you're hearing wrong. If you hear how you hear is good, positive, you'll hear it differently. Because how you hear it determines your expectation. Not what you hear, how you hear. I told you the story about the guy. Son got arrested. Got saved in jail. He thought the world was falling apart, but I heard it different. I was glad he got saved in jail. He thought that was the end of the world. No, that wasn't the end of the world. I've come to learn and I'm learning and I don't like it that I come to learn how the Lord works. The Lord works through experience and how you hear him is determining how your expectation will be. And how your expectation will be determines the length and endurance of that patience that you have to possess to experience the goodness of God. Right? Do you know when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus never referred to God as God except one time. He was Father, 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 our Father, Father, Father. But when he was on the cross and he became sin, he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Sin was forsaken. God. 
Father all the time. If you start seeing God distant, you're embracing things that are not of spirit, they're of the flesh. And I'm not talking about stuff of the flesh, I'm talking about unbelief. You begin to doubt, you begin to wonder, you begin to get suspect of God. God, is he you really answering this? Or is this? Are you really here? And when we don't see him and don't hear him, we think he's not there. And you begin suspect. And then the temptation is, during the time of patience, is to take matters into your own hand. Try to figure it out for yourself. God might need a little help. Right? Now watch this. You got Jesus coming to show them that this kingdom is not like any other kingdom that you've read about. It's not. It's similar to the Romans because they don't go in a city and instill everybody and everything and take them back to the Rome. They plant right there in the middle and they leave people where they are and they start changing the way they think. And if they change them the way they think and they can expose them to things outside themselves, they'll show them Roman ways and they'll become Romans whether they know it or not. Jesus said, that's how the kingdom works. I come in a situation, I invade a life, I don't pull you out of your life, I get in your life. I start showing you and teaching you ways you've never seen, ways you've never heard, thoughts you've never thought, and I begin to infiltrate your life, and your life takes on a whole new purpose and meaning because the light goes off, and you go from being negative and dark to positive and light. You begin to have your bend change, your lean change, your tendencies change, your outlook on life change. You go from doubt to trust. You become from a skeptic to expect the best. That's what I've come to show you, and I show you this by the Spirit, by example. So Jesus says, well, here's the deal. So the, when, when the, spirit, the word is sown into a person's life, you hear a word, you hear a promise. You read and become aware of what God is going to do in your life. He says, this is incredible, but only 25% of the people fall, and the word falls on good ground because immediately the devil comes in to steal some of it. Immediately the, the, the world cares of this world and pressures of life start taking it over and you lose sight off what the word of God really started doing in your heart. But one-fourth will get it. One-fourth. He says, now, disciples, for them out there, they're supposed to wonder about it, hear about it, but not understand it. But you, you're different. You're going to get it firsthand. You're going to see it from the inside out. I'm going to show you how this works, not just tell you. Do you get it? Watch what happens. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some and said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said that my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now it happened on, the, on a certain day. Look at this. He just told him, verse four through 18, how this whole thing works. Verse 22, now it happened on a certain day that he got into the boat with his disciples. The same guys that he said, it's for you to know the mysteries. It's for you to know the things, how they work. Man, this, you're, you're gonna see it from the inside out, guys. You're the guys. He gets in a boat with his disciples. 
And he looks at them and says, read this out loud. Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. That's the word of the Lord. That's the promise. And guess what they did? They launched out. Verse 23 says, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now here's the deal. My Bible says that the, my God never sleeps or slumber. We got a problem. How are you going to reconcile that one? Jesus fell asleep. Has not anybody had anything going on in your life that you're looking for him to answer? After all, you're the one that told us to get in a boat and come to the other side. And now you're nowhere to be found. You're not answering. You're not moving. You're not even aware, it seems like, God, of what's going on all around me. Why are you not answering this? Why are you not moving? Why is this bothering me more than it bothers you? I pray, God, but you just don't. You're, you're asleep. And a windstorm came after he went to sleep. If Jesus had to went to sleep, the storm had to come. That's what I'd have been saying. God, if you hadn't done this, been, you hadn't told us to build this building, we wouldn't be here. Right? Well, if you hadn't told me to, if I had started that, you wouldn't. Come on. If you hadn't told me to get that attorney, I was going to get this one, but you're the one that led me to that one. Now where are you, Jesus? Jesus is all while he's asleep, he's saying, I just told you I'm going to give you the mysteries. I'm going to reveal to you how life works. In my absence or appearance of my absence, I'm not really absent. When I'm silent in the appearance of my silence, I'm not silent. Because I'm still talking about and sleeping on the word I gave you four verses ago. The problem is you forgot the words four verses ago and now you're back into the current moment and you've let this current moment of silence trump and be amplified higher than the last word that I gave you. You forgot what I told you and all you see is what you see because you're letting what you see drive what you should know. Windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy of dying. Watch this. And they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we're dying. Has, maybe, am I the only one that has gone through or going through something where you feel like, dear God, I am not going to make it out of this? Can, can we just raise your hands? The rest of you will have an altar call for lying here in just a minute, right? <laughs> or, you're, or you're asleep in the bow of the boat, right? Right? No, seriously, are you, you, you know what I'm talking about? You're going, God, where in the world are you in the middle of this? I feel dry. I feel empty. The storm is raging. It feels like it's raging. It may not be raging, but it feels like it's raging. Kids are out of control. This one's talking back. Never used to talk back, and all of a sudden he's talking back now. My gosh, where did that come from? Now she, when are you ever going to get my kids off drugs? God, I've done everything I know to do, and they're not after what? And you go oh, through over and over and over. When are you going to take the pain away, the hurt, the ache is still in my life? God, I thought I'd be further longer than further along than this right now. I thought I'd be further along, and since I'm reliving days of old, God, where are you in the middle of this situation? And He's going back in verse fourteen. Just because you're in eighteen, don't mean fourteen ain't happening. 
right? And they came to him and awoke him and said, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the, the water, and the, they all ceased, and there was a calm. He addressed the storm, and now he's addressing the ones that should know how the mysteries work. And he said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Back when he was, had the multitudes, and he was telling them all the stories of the parables, and they look at him and said, Jesus, tell us what this really means. He pulls them in close to himself and reveals inner secrets of a kingdom, a way of life they'd never known. And he told them, I'm going to take you, disciples, the close ones. We're going to go through life experiences together. And you're going to have to learn to trust me. Because from the time something originates and the time it comes to pass, there is a time span. And you're going to have to have patience in the midst of that process. And if you think for one minute I'm gone or you're going to die in the middle of the process, you forgot the promise that I gave you at the beginning. Because the promise is going to require you to have faith even when doubt is certainly possible. It's going to require you to trust me when things aren't going the way you think they ought to go. When things look like they're spinning out of control. When it looks like the boat is getting overtaken by water. It looks like you're perishing and falling apart and everybody's turned their back on you and you don't know where to go. They're still talking about you. They're still thinking about you. They're still making aim against you. And you're going, oh God. And all that's just bombarding your life. God, is it ever going to end? Is it ever going to end? God, there's more to life than what I'm experiencing right now. There's got to be more. I feel like I'm depression is setting in. All these things start happening. And you have this moment in time to embrace all of that pressure. Buy into, God, I'm dying. It's taking me over. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm suffocating. There's got to be more. Or you go, God, I'm not going to focus on what's not working. I'm not going to focus on what could be. I'm not going to focus on the disappointments of the past, the failures of my yesterday, what all the people are saying. I've got to focus on you said, let's go to the other side. You said, start that business. You said, move to that town. You said, change that job. You said, invest that money. You said, marry that girl. You said, marry that guy. You said, start over. You said, you said, you said, you said, and from what you said and what I see aren't lining up, I'm going back to what you said, not on what I see. Because somewhere along the line, what you see has to line up with what he said. Because he's not a man that he can lie. Nor does he ever repent or change his mind. Because the end of the day and the end of the story, he's not marveled. He doesn't want you to be marveling that you came through. That's not Jesus' victory. He already knew that before he started. He said, let's go to the other side. He didn't say, hey, let's try to go to the other side. He said, hey guys, you know what I'm thinking? It's gonna take all of us, but I'm really weary. I'm gonna go lay down. 
No, he said, let's go to the other side. What gives God glory and he gets marveled, he marvels that, is this part. When you and I and the disciples look at the storm and say, even that thing is subject to his commands. That business has to succeed at his command. That family has to be turned around at his command. That drug addiction has to go at his command. Right? Now here's the challenge for us today. And this is where it all hits us. Physically in the flesh, Jesus isn't here anymore. You don't know where to go find him. They knew to go to the boat and find him. They knew right where he was. Can you find him in your storm? He's out there somewhere. Is that how we see it? No, no, no. That's how the Egyptians would do it. That's how the Assyrians would do it. Right? That's how the Persians and the Babylonians would do it. Romans did it different. Romans used people. Roman soldiers. Jesus came to give an example of what the Roman Empire looked like and the kingdom of God was a parallel to that in the spirit. Now what am I telling you? You don't have the privilege to go find Jesus in your boat. He's not in there. He's in here. Now here's where we run into trouble. We're out there looking. God. God uses people because Jesus now resides in people. And he said this to the same disciples. Guys, now that you understand the mysteries and I'm giving them to you, I'm not only gonna just give you the mysteries, I'm gonna give you the keys to the mystery, to the kingdom. Now, if I said to Steph, like I said about the promises, if I said to Steph, here's a key and the keys to the kingdom. Now, Jesus obviously has the keys to the kingdom. And if I give those to Steph and I say, Steph or Sean, and I say, here's the keys to the kingdom. And I'm over here and you're going through a situation that you require that you have to have a key. And Sean calls me on the phone and says, I got this key that you gave me, but I'd rather use yours. Jesus, I need the key to open up that relationship. I need the key to change that. I need the key, I need the key, I need the key. And he looks, Jesus, I give you the keys. Jesus looked at the disciples when he was still with them and says, where's your faith? Did I not tell you to go to the other side? What am I telling you this morning? You're packing something inside of your heart, inside of your life, that your head has not yet understood. And if I can get your head to see what your heart is carrying, you're going to be a powerhouse in the kingdom of God. You're looking outside of yourself for solutions that you already carry, but you don't see. You're going to wake up this morning 
Your eyes are gonna be open and you're gonna begin to take authority and, and, and take the privilege of putting your life in the order that God wants it to go in. How are you gonna do that? First of all, you're gonna believe you're the one of the 25%, not of the 75 that didn't get it. That's your first line of business. He called you. He didn't make a mistake. You don't know where I've been. I don't care where you've been. All where you've been has made you what you are today. He didn't make a mistake by calling you. He called you for now. I've, I've experienced so much loss in my life. All that loss he'll use for his gain. All that hurt and pain, those bad relationships, those bad experiences, all of that stuff, he'll use for gain. If you'll see yourself the way he sees you. You are a powerhouse and you don't even know it. Some of you do, oh, but I want us all to see it. I was driving through Huntington the other night. Um, Katie and I had, went out to have a bite to eat and we'd come through some practice and he wanted Chinese, so we go to Chinese and we're coming out and there's all kinds of people just Friday night just walking around town. It was everywhere. One guy had overdosed and we saw the aftermath of that and he's standing there just, just about any moment ready to die. They're coming to Narcan him and do whatever they have to do and Caden's just taking all this in. So I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drive. So I took him down some pretty rough areas and just driving around and pointing out some stuff to him. And I looked at him and I said, man, I said, what are we gonna do about this? You know, what, what's what we gonna do? He said, I don't, I, mean, I have no idea. He's got any ideas? <laughs> I said, no, I really don't. I said, it's bigger than us, right? He said, yeah. He said, but it's not bigger than God. I said, you're right, it's not bigger than God. He starts looking at the people and I can't, I said, I start pointing one out. I said, look, that's somebody's son right there, somebody's grandson. I said, that's somebody, probably somebody's dad, uncle, brother. Look at that, that's somebody's, man, that could be somebody's wife right there, Caden. He's looking around, man, I can see him welling up inside of him and he looks over at me and he says, you know, dad, people aren't bad. It's just how they act is bad. And I said, profound. I said, but how do we get those people to know they're not bad? He said, well, let's talk, tell them about Jesus. I said, can I be honest with you, Caden? Nobody wants to hear about Jesus. They probably have already heard about Jesus. You know, Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, Winnie the Pooh, it's coming out today, this week, and Easter, and, and Jesus. We got them all right there. Nobody wants to hear about Jesus. We got to show them Jesus. We got to introduce them to Jesus. We've got to, ex no, 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 no. Experience from the inside out a supernatural moment that bypasses their mind, intrigues their heart, and causes something supernatural to happen in their life. If that doesn't happen, we have a good argument, but no experience. And nobody's gonna get wins with arguments anymore. Otherwise, the Democrats would beat the Republicans and the Republicans would beat the Democrats. That don't work anymore. It's experiential, right? It's living this thing out and getting them to have a touch, taste and a touch. But it never happens out there. 
until we start seeing it inside of us. Would you stand with me? We're going to launch a lot of outreaches come this fall in the street stuff out there. We're going to do some stuff inside here. We'll teach our kids and young people how to pray, really pray. And we're going to start talking about some testimonies of life and living, real life, stuff that's really raw of how we live this thing out. God, I don't, I don't, I've had, I've been to some seminary, I've been to, I've had theology class, I've had all of that. But nothing takes the place of my experience that I have that nothing can take it away from me. I know that I know that I know that God is true and faithful. I know that I know that I know that he restores and he redeems and he saves. I know that I know that I know that he takes a life that's a wreck and somehow puts it all back together. I know that I know that I know nobody's too far gone. I know that I know that I know that the best days are still yet ahead of us. I know that I know that I know that the next generation shouldn't have to reinvent what we already should be inventing. I know that I know that I know that he got his eye on you and the doors are opening up for your life like you have never seen. Desires are changing in you like you've never known. Change and transformations coming to your life like never before. And the fullness of his joy is coming in you like your heart already longs, but you don't know how to get there. You better get ready for the ride. I'm telling you, you better get ready for the ride because this next past six, next six months are gonna be the best six months of your life. Father, in Jesus' name, I bless my brothers, I bless my sisters. God, those that are carrying afflictions and healing today in their body, touch their body. Father, I bless you. I'm excited about what you're doing in the body of Christ and the acceleration, the revelation, the illumination, and the life-changing transformation of everyone in here, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you all. If you need prayer today for anything, I want you to come up front and we're gonna pray for you today.